a clean look, Jeff. All right, folks, here we go. Welcome to Sportsbook Radio from the Brian Blessing Studio in Las Vegas, brought to you by Station Casinos and the mighty STN app. I'm Dana Lane along with Steve Karp, Chris Johnson behind the controls. Steve's still still trying to figure out his headsets. How's that, buddy? You got it? Better. Okay, cool. There we go. I can hear. So long weekend, our first long weekend that we've had. Yep. So that was... uh, I, there does get a point in the weekend where you're kind of like, okay, because uh, you, you're, you know, Sunday night you're getting geared up for another radio show. Yeah. And then sometimes, you know, I'm like, wow, okay, what do I do? Hey, let's go see what the kids are doing. Yeah. Good so, weekend? It was a great weekend, yeah. I went to, um, I saw uh, Top Gun on Sunday, Sunday afternoon. Was it crowded? Packed? Yes. It was very difficult to get seats. Okay. And uh, where, where may I ask? Did you uh, see it? What what theater? We went to uh, Sunset Station. We usually go to Red Rock, but we yeah. went to Sunset Station because just where the seating was. But everything was either front or second row. Oh, and, and every I know, and it's wow. like, I'm like I told my wife, I said, let's go do 4D. Let's you know, let's smell some jet fuel while we're watching this thing, and. She didn't want to do like first or second row, so we we, kind of, we drove across town. Then we had dinner over there, and uh, that was good. And I don't know. I thought the movie was excellent. Good. I don't. Know. Everybody I've talked to liked it. And then of course I had to go back and watch the first one. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, it's still from where it was. I mean, what did that come out like eighty three something like that? From where it was. I thought it was, it was okay. It held up okay, but obviously, you know, Tom Cruise has become a better actor, and everybody else has as well. But yeah, it was good. It was good. I, I don't know. What'd you do? I pretty much hung out in the race book all weekend at different properties. One day I was at the Gold Coast, where I hadn't been in years because I went to the Palms after the show. Yeah, last Friday. They don't have a race book anymore. It's a William Hill sports book, and it's really nice, by the way. They totally redid it, and it's really... So it's not that red, no. uh, like when Cantor had it? Yeah. Right. Speaking of, you know, they they always had great... The Brendan Theaters at the Palms are always good. I mm-hmm. don't know if Top Gun was playing there or not, but that's a good place to go see the movies yep. if you want to go. I've no, been there many times. Yeah, and then uh, Saturday I was at Red Rock, and it was busy. And then yesterday I was up at the Rampart. See Chuck? I did not see Chuck. Yeah. I saw just about everyone else at that property but Chuck. So I don't know if he was out grilling or chilling <laughs> sure or whatever. Was. Oh, he was he was more than willing when I said, Hey, we're not gonna do a show on Monday. He's like, Okay. Yeah, no, it was it was Sunday actually that I was at Red Rock. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh Monday yesterday I was at uh Rampart. Uh and uh you know, it was a big auto racing day on Sunday with the F1, the Grand Prix in Monaco, and then, of course, the Indy 500, which had that crazy ending, which was normal compared to the NASCAR Coca-Cola 600 ending, which went into overtime and 
Kyle Busch almost pulled it out, but lost to Denny Hamlin. It was uh, a good weekend, though, in terms of, you know, all the stuff for the basketball. Celtics moving on to the finals against the Warriors. And, and of course, the hockey, which we'll get into yeah. in the next hour. Yeah, good. Well, sounds like a good weekend. How yeah. about you, Chris? All right? Uh, yeah, I kind of just relaxed this whole weekend. Kind of took a little step back. Kind of just, you know. I don't understand. I needed, I needed to just zone in for myself again this weekend. So oh, yeah. I did. And it looked, it was pretty nice to actually, you know, just relax and kind of just sit back and enjoy some of the nice things in life. Just kind of like, you know, being able to breathe. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't done anything this whole weekend. I cannot. Uh, actually, I did go play basketball. Was I? I wish I gave this uh, this little kid my uh, my basketball because he had a he had a little beat up one and I had a nicer one. I was like, you know what? This kid is out here before I was by himself, just working out. And I was like, you know what? Here you go. Here's my basketball. You you train and you do your thing. And we made sure that me and my friend uh, made him promise us that he's gonna like continue training and doing that so that he could smoke all the little kids in elementary school. How old was this kid? Like at least seven, eight. Oh, he's seven or eight. He was super young. Like yeah. I was like, I was like, oh, you're by yourself out here training basketball on like a on a little like court in like an apartment complex. This is insane. Oh, I see. I, I was see. like, I was like, you know what, dude? You have a little beat up basketball here. Have have mine. Just go crazy. Do your thing. And he was super stoked when he got. It. He started shooting with it exclusively. So you know that reminds cool. me of Steve. That reminds me of um, the old Joe Green commercial for what was it pepsi or something coke. for coke okay where he throws the kid his jersey yes. you don't remember that you're just like smiling <laughs> I like, yeah i know you remember it but yeah no i was smiling because I, I was like i was like i know i don't know this reference and no, it's, but it's, funny. O- it's okay though because yeah, it's, no. it's like you're giving a kid a basketball yeah. and like hey. you know what why not do your thing dude i you know we had him we had him play us in horse at the end of it and of course, I could shoot from like half court and end this kid like constantly. But I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna do that. Oh, I on, shot from on. like close. So range. you could shoot from half court. Yeah, easily. And end this. Yeah, easy. Yeah. What kind of percentage you got from half court? About like forty percent. Forty percent. You I'm pretty, shoot. I'm from, pretty good from half court. I'm not. I gonna like lie. to see that. Yeah, forty percent from half court. Our twenty year old says. I, I I am. I can't wait. I I just want to hear. And, of course, he's out of school right now. But I just want to see this crazy – you know, when you're, when you're in college, I'm, I'm looking for these crazy stories to happen. And he comes in of, with stories of I'm handing a kid a basketball and I'm throwing him my jersey and giving him my <laughs> shoes and, you know, giving him all the pat on the back. Yeah. You know. Okay, good. All right. Yeah, anyway. All right, show rundown today. Uh, second hour today, Jim – uh, Crochenio, who is a works with the Oakland A's, of course, great broadcaster there with Ken Korak. He'll be on to talk about the A's. Very heavy on baseball uh, early in first hour. And then second hour, Dennis Bernstein from the NHL Radio Network would join us as well. Uh, we will go over a little bit later. Of course, the Final Four in the NHL has been decided. The final in the NBA has also been decided. I'll talk about college baseball a little bit if we can get to it. But uh, first, as I said, we're going to go baseball heavy to start the show. There's going to be an emphasis on the Oakland A's organization for sure. And and first up, Director of Media Relations of the Las Vegas Aviators, Jim Gem- Gemma joins us. And Jim, I, I appreciate you. I, I pushed you probably three times, not because we wanted to, because there's a lot of stuff that happened last week and we needed to talk about that a little bit. But wanted to have you on, and I, I do appreciate you finally uh, coming on with us. No, thanks for uh, always having me on, Dana. And Steve Carr, football is going well. It is. I'll see you at the ballpark tomorrow. We'll catch up. 
How about Sounds your great. team in first place, my man? Look at this. <laughs> Percentage points ahead of uh, the bees. What What's making this thing work uh, with the aviators on the field? What's What are they doing so well? Well, I, this was a really long trip. It was two weeks, and the first seven games wasn't looking good. They were two and five, and, um, you know, Tacoma, they went up to Tacoma. It was, you know, it was cold and rainy practically the whole time they were up there, so I know these guys are really happy to be back here. But I uh, won the last four straight of the road trip to go six and five. One of the games got rained out, but we'll uh, they're going to make that game up when they go back up in August. But uh, you know, the starting pitching for the most part has been good all year. Uh, the hitting is spotty, but uh, we played well when we had to. So yeah, the team's twenty six and twenty one, and. Um, coming home for this nine-game uh, homestand tonight. Yeah, Jim, I was telling Steve that, you know, with, hitting has never been a problem for this organization, whether it was the Stars or the 51s or the Aviators, and it seems like this is a year where, where pitching dominates the hitting a little bit. So uh, thanks for confirming that. I also wanted to ask you, before I, I got into my baseball questions, I know about 10% of the time on this show we talk about music, and I went through your social media uh, the other day, and I know it's been a while, but – Something stuck out at me. Talk about the meeting that you had with Tommy Shaw of Sticks, and I think they're going out this summer with with Ario and I think Lover Boy. But that must have been cool. Talk about that experience. Well, uh, Tom Donahue, one of the best photographers in town. Um, he's freelance uh, all over the place. He shoots for the Fifty Ones Aviators. Uh, he knows the band, and sometimes people say, "Oh, I know those guys." He knows those guys. Uh, George Packard, the tour manager, is awesome. The band is incredible. Tommy Shaw is a rock icon. He's my favorite musician, and I had a chance to meet him a couple of times through Tom, because Tom shoots the Sticks concerts every time they come in. Right. And Tommy Shaw, I mean, this is a rock icon. He's the nicest guy. I've heard this from 50 people. He's most down-to-earth, all the guys in the band, but especially Tommy, and that that's a cherished picture that Tom took. But, uh, yeah, I'm actually, on their all-star break, uh, Sticks, Ario, Speedwagon, Loverboy are starting this summer tour. And uh, they're playing an outdoor amphitheater in, in July during the all-star break. So I, I'm going to go down and, and see that concert. That'll be really fun. And if he shot Springsteen, of course, my boy here would, I know Steve would, would quickly want to become friends with uh, Mr. Donahue. I, I am friends with Tom. Oh, well, there you go. I'm not. I guess that's the problem. <laughs> okay. Hey, talk about your uh, catcher, Shea uh, Langoliers. He's a little, in a little bit of a slump right now, but it was a ninth overall selection of the Braves out of Baylor. He, he might not hit like Buster Posey, but certainly has a great arm. He's very good defensively. Is this kid going to get a look, you think, at some point this year in Oakland? Well, I, I mean, I'm not obviously – Billy Bean or David Force by any means. I think he's going to stay here. Obviously, unless there's an injury to Sean Murphy, um, I mean, he it's good for him just to stay. I mean, obviously, he wants to go up and play, but he, he's he's the real deal. He's he's really grounded. He's he's really a nice person too. You, you notice right away with these top prospects in the past that we've had. You can tell um, he he's really. I mean. You can always tell when someone came from a, a great college program, like Pete Alonzo, when he was here with the 51s. He mm-hmm. came from Florida, and he was so media savvy when he was here that he was going to be no problem for him in New York City. They, the media loves him in New York City, but going back to Shea, he played at Baylor. So coming out of a great college program, I know that really helped him. But, yeah, he he is not only a really good um, – 
hitter and hits for power, like you said, defensively, he, I think right now he's throwing out like 35% of uh, potential base dealers, and uh, he's got a great arm back there. Yeah, and of course, I mean, he mentioned, I was reading an article over the weekend, is why I bring up Buster Posey as, as a guy that he kind of models his game over but or after. But I would think, I mean, you know, from a catching perspective in Oakland, I mean, you got two guys that are hitting, you know, barely trying to get to the 220 mark. I mean, I would think, at this point, if things keep progressing the way they do in Oakland, at least you know into August, uh, when rosters expand, I would think he would get a shot. I mean, he's hitting for a little bit of a, a little bit of power, and of course, his average is probably not you know, of course, it isn't where it was when they started the season. But I would think they would at least want to take a look at, at some point, or in September. Yeah, and also, yeah, also, uh, I, I'm not sure what the situation is uh, with the travel, and he only got to play one game up in Tacoma. Stephen Vote. It is he should be with us? I haven't got that confirmed yet. Um, he's on ML rehab, and I know he's been playing more first base and catcher, but he is a catcher also. So uh, I mean, unless something crazy happened uh, when we were traveling, uh, Stephen Vote should be here on a rehab assignment. Uh, again, I don't have that confirmed because sometimes we'll just take him over to Stockton just so geographically it's easier. Right. But I mean, he's about ready to come off the DL, so that's going to also dictate. You know, Christian Bethencourt was there just for a little bit this year, but he's been there, and he also catches. So, uh, I mean, they are going to be logjam with catchers here if, uh, if and when Voight uh, is ready. Not when, but uh, I should say, yeah, when he's ready to come off uh, the ML rehab. They'll, they'll have another catcher. And then recently you brought up Jonah Bride, who has been absolutely on fire since his call-up from Midland. Uh, his, his, he, this is his first look at AAA pitching. I mean, what – you know, just looking at him and your first thoughts about him, I mean, it looks to be like a great prospect. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, going into the top 30 prospects, I mean, people want to get caught mm-hmm. up with the Baseball America thing, but he's like the 22nd top prospect. He was way higher uh, a couple years ago. You know, a lot people don't understand, too, uh, 2020, a lot of these guys didn't play. The whole season got wiped out for the minor leagues. We That industry got destroyed. And he was at the alternate site, but it wasn't the same plan. So a lot of these guys are just trying to get back to the swing of things. This will be the second year now the guys are playing full-time. So, uh, you know, watch some of the games um, on MLB TV. Uh, Bride looked great. He plays multiple positions. So, obviously, tonight's his first game in, in Las Vegas. And he literally just got called up uh, when we were in Tacoma. Jim, are you troubled by Major League Baseball's decision to keep paring down the minor leagues and – you know, AAA, we have 20 teams in the IL. We have 10 in the PCL. It, it just seems like a weird imbalance of things. And then, But I think more about single A and and just how opportunities are being lost and, and also entertainment for fans in those cities. How concerned are you, I mean, at your level, where this thing is headed with baseball? Well, Luckily for us, Don Logan, our present CEO, when this first all came down, it, it hardly affected AAA because obviously, uh, you know, you're going to have to have 30 teams for AAA, and uh, AAA hardly got affected by this. Like you said, it was the lower minors that got uh, contracted a lot. They, a lot of those lower uh, markets in rookie ball, low A went to uh, mm-hmm. college bat summer leagues. So was, most of those markets kept baseball, but like you said, Steve, it's not the same as having a minor league. Because when the Stars first came here in 1983, uh, again, we kind of got this whole ball rolling for all these major league sports here. Uh, It's a great entertainment value, and it always will be. 
when this team's here. Because, again, you can walk up tonight, free parking. I'll keep beating that drum until people say don't say it anymore. We're the only team in town that has free parking professionally. And you have $12 berm seat. Thursday nights we have $2 beer night. So, yeah, minor league baseball, like you said, it's affordable family fun. I know it's a corny slogan, but it is. And like you said, it did affect it. It affected more the lower uh, levels of the minor leagues. We're at 120 teams now. Uh, you know, Triple A is as strong as ever. They opened the new ballpark last year in downtown Worcester, the Worcester Red Sox. That's a great facility. Yes. These Triple A ballparks are unbelievable. They're miniature major league stadiums. The yeah. one in Charlotte. I mean, one here is the premier one, but. Yeah, Triple A is in great shape. Uh, it, like you said, it, it did affect the lower minors. You know, it, I'm working on a book about the history of, of sports in Las Vegas and, and the uh, the numerous teams that failed over the years. You know, we're talking close to 40, by the way, when you think about it. This franchise has withstood all sorts of obstacles, not the least of which is the climate, you know, you don't have a dome, you're playing in the heat, and and yet it gets better, not worse. And and I can't help but think that Don Logan has always been front and center when it came to making sure that baseball in this city not only survived but thrived. Um, and you've been here through the entire thing, uh, you know, having lived here your whole life. What is it about this guy his passion for the game that allows this franchise to continue to do really, really good things and, and connect with the community. There's a connection here with this team and this city that no other franchise can really speak to. And I include the Golden Knights when I say that, Jimmy. Well, um, this is our 40th calendar season. And, uh, again, mm -hmm. I mean, I wish the Aces the best and all the major league teams the best. And when they do win their first championship, uh, I do have to talk to some people in the media. They're saying, if you know, the Aces are great. They may win the WNBA. They're saying this is the first uh, pro team in town will win a championship. I'm going to have to sit down with some of these people. Yes. This irritates Don all the way down. We won the championship in 1986 and 88 with the Stars. So That's right. we have to distinguish this between professional sports because we are professional sports and major league sports. But Don, Don knows everybody. I mean, even in the, uh, the sport of baseball and, the, and all of sports, he's got a, just a, a great – he just knows how to run things. Um, it's actually a president CEO that actually cares about his employees, which is very rare in this day and age. As I worked at UNLV 20 years ago, and that was not the environment back then. Yes, it he was. He actually right. cares <laughs> about – he cares about his employees, and everybody in town loves him. He, he's just – I've learned so much from him just about the business model of running – professional baseball it's it's unbelievable and then people from the outside in you know you're always going to get this on social media everybody thinks they know how to run things there but guy he knows he's got this thing uh just running like and plus we got the ballpark and he was so instrumental in that you know how long it took him to get yes. that done steve so uh it, it's just a great situation now but then you still got to treat people the right way and uh you know he's always customer service first and that's the way it should be and people love coming out the Las Vegas ballpark. It's just a fun yeah. place to come. And the best thing about this day and age, it's an outdoor venue. You know, it's, it's you can't overstate it enough how enjoyable it is 
to take your family to a friendly and safe environment for two, two and a half hours. No one's saying you got to stay all nine innings, but when you walk through that, as soon as you get on the grounds, whether it's to park or walk over from, you know, the shopping area downtown Summerlin, the moment you step into that stadium, you are treated well with respect and encouraged to have a good time. And I think that is really, and, and honestly, you know what? At Cashman Field, it was that way too when you went to a baseball game with the Stars, later with the 51s, and now, of course, at the Las Vegas ballpark with the Aviators. Jim, I, I just, if you haven't been to a game, you're missing out on a really enjoyable experience. Uh, I still walk in there. Uh, we all know the lower bowls, like a major league stadium, the under underneath the player amenities. We, Matt Olson was there in rehab the first year. Uh, the shoddy, all those guys were telling Don, this is this is big league. I mean, the stuff underneath the in, indoor hitting cage, the clubhouse. Yep. Obviously, it's better than the Coliseum. That's why we're in this <laughs> discussion point now. But uh, even back at Cashman, there's a misnomer. We used to have really good crowds on weekends all the time at Cashman. Yeah. We had 300,000 plus there for, you know, 30, 38 years that we played there. Um, so we always had good crowds there. But And then when it was built in the 80s, it was state of the art. That was built at the same time as Thomas and Mack and Lawler Event Center. All three venues were built on slot machine rebate tax. And we had, when the Stars first came here, that stadium was beautiful. It was state of the art. Sure you know, father time passed it by and we... This thing up now in downtown Summerlin is, is just amazing. Yeah. It's a wonderful place to see a game. It's easy to get to, even if you don't live in Summerlin. I mean, it's it's super easy. You get there from Southern Highlands. You get there from Henderson. Mm -hmm. it, yep. it really was a great idea by the Howard Hughes Corporation to build a ballpark there. I know that, that that's their thing, developing and, and what have you. And uh, for me... Of all the things that we have here in Las Vegas, this has the best value for the money. Going to see the Aviators play baseball at Las Vegas Ballpark. Yeah, and WNBA is probably a close second to that as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. I mean, it that's is. just the truth. I mean, for what you get for your money. But, Jim, I, I wanted to ask, and we're talking to Jim Gemma, the uh, Director of Media Relations for the Las Vegas Aviators. I wanted to talk about Jared Koenig a little bit, had a, having a terrific season. I mean, you talked about pitching, really stepping up until he, the, until the hitting uh, is on the same par, but he's had a terrific year. And, in fact, you know, 35 hits and 47 innings pitch, I mean, that's a guy that's probably – he's definitely going to probably get a look in Oakland at some point. He's a great story. Uh, Jared yeah, Koenig, talk about the story. Right. bio – he, he played years and years and years in the independent ball. This is only his second year with the A's organization. He tied for first in the PCL and ERA, which is saying a lot. It's like 2.7. He, he's pitching uh, tomorrow night. Uh, if people want to see him pitch, it's game two of the series against Sacramento. He's pitching, and he's, he's really fun to watch pitch. So, uh, yeah, he's a great story. He's definitely on the A's radar, obviously, but we'll see. Obviously, when these guys are not on the 40-man roster, you got to make a maneuver when they go up, like Shade Langoliers is not on the forty-man roster, but he will be one of these days, obviously. Yep. But yeah, he he's uh, he's got to stay healthy and keep pitching the way he's pitching. He is really fun to watch. Well, didn't he pitch in Australia? Did I read for Auckland? Yeah, he pitched at one point. 
in, in Australia, but the last four or five years, if you look at his bio, he pitched in independent ball. Well, he, I mean, just, the ace. just his path is yep. amazing to yeah, where is, how we got to this point. Yeah, so that, yeah, this is only his second year in the A's organization. He pitched at Midland last year, yeah. Double A Midland. And the, other than that, he was all independent. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of these guys, and, and this is, you know, this is how you kind of, you know, get. I mean, you kind of look at these minor league guys and they go up and they go down, and uh, you know, you, you don't get a chance to really grab onto them. But there's a ton of stories behind these guys to how they got to that point. And certainly Koenig is one of those. So go check him out tomorrow. I did want to ask when, you know, school is out now. And, of course, you've been with the organization forever. I mean, how how much of a difference in attendance is there on a typical weekend when school is in versus school is out? What percentage goes up? Well, obviously it helps when uh, school's out, on especially the firework nights and, and, and all everything else. So it it does help. I mean, our, our attendance is so good up, up in Summerlin. We're averaging close to 7,000 a game. I mean, it, it does spike it. Um, it. Yeah, it definitely helps when school's out for especially the midweek games too. Yeah, I guess I probably should ask about the concessions because that's probably the the percentage that goes up the most because even if you do bring your kids to games when school is in, you probably leave a little bit earlier and you might stay a little longer You know, now that it's the summertime. But, Jim, the, the team starts a nine-game homestand against Sacramento tonight. First pitch, 7.05 at the Las Vegas ballpark. And as always, we always appreciate your time, Jim, and all the best. Mm-hmm. No, thanks for having me on uh, the Dana. I really appreciate it. And uh, Steve, I'll, I'll see you soon. See you tomorrow night. All right, there he goes, Jim Gemma, Director of Media Relations for the Las Vegas Aviators. We'll take a quick break when we come back. Vince Catronio will be on, broadcaster for the Oakland A's. STN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. STN Sports has it all. In-play betting, mobile parlay cards, the Play Plus card to fund and withdraw from anywhere in Nevada, and up to a $100 new sign-up bonus. STN Sports even lets you earn rewards for every bet. Safe and easy betting from your phone or tablet. Go to stationcasinosports.com or sign up at any station casino or wildfire. Complete details available at all sportsbooks. Oasis Bar and Grill at 4955 South Decatur near the corner of Trop has been totally renovated. It features incredible food with a kitchen that's open 24-7. Gaming promotions every month. There are cashback drawings for loyal players. The banquet room is spacious and a great venue for any type of function. Sports fans won't miss any of the action with HDTVs throughout the property. Oasis is a great place to meet and make new friends. The staff is fun and engaging. Get in on the fun with great food, great drink, and gaming promotions at Oasis Bar and Grill, 4955 South Dakota. Experience the thrill of the grill. John Smith Subs is home of the famous steak bomb and other premium deli subs with grilled-to-order marinated sirloin steak, grilled chicken, farm fresh veggies, and delicious bread baked daily. Our subs are making a name for themselves with quality and flavor. Add an order of piping hot french fries and you have a meal you can't get anyplace else. Experience the thrill of the grill at John Smith Subs. Visit johnsmithsubs.com to find a location near you. Hey, Golden Knights fans, I'm attorney Adam Kuttner. I'm proud to be an official partner of the Vegas Golden Knights. We're giving you the chance to play at home along with the Golden Knights to win home game tickets 
through our Power Play giveaway. Each time the Golden Knights are on a Power Play, we'll pick one of my Twitter followers who tags me on Twitter with the hashtag Adam Kuttner Power Play. And when the Golden Knights score, that lucky fan wins tickets to the Fortress. So make sure to follow me on Twitter. Go Knights, go! Calling all Vegas Golden Knights super fans for the Terribles game day giveaway. During all of Vegas Golden Knights home games, visit any participating Terribles location, make a qualifying purchase, get a scratch card, enter on the Terribles app, and you could win a $1,000 Golden Knights shopping spree. Best yet, one lucky customer will win this prize every day the Vegas Golden Knights have a home game. Terribles game day giveaway. It's only at Terribles. Visit Terribles.com for more details. Oasis Bar and Grill at 4955 South Decatur near the corner of Trop has been totally renovated. It features incredible food with a kitchen that's open 24-7. Gaming promotions every month. There are cashback drawings for loyal players. The banquet room is spacious and a great venue for any type of function. Sports fans won't miss any of the action with HDTVs throughout the property. Oasis is a great place to meet and make new friends. The staff is fun and engaging. Get in on the fun with great food, great drink, and gaming promotions at Oasis Bar and Grill, 4955 South Decatur. STN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. STN Sports has it all. In-play betting, mobile parlay cards, the Play Plus card to fund and withdraw from anywhere in Nevada, and up to a $100 new sign-up bonus. STN Sports even lets you earn rewards for every bet. Safe and easy betting from your phone or tablet. Go to StationCasinoSports.com or sign up at at any station casino or wildfire. Complete details available at all sportsbooks. All right, welcome back to Sportsbook Radio, brought to you by Station Casinos and the STN app. From the Brian Blessing Studio, that's Steve Carp, Chris Johnson playing music I have no idea about. I know it's not off the new Def Leppard record, which is nope. amazing. And it's definitely not Springsteen. It's definitely not Springsteen. <laughs> it's Lofty's <laughs> Comet Blackberry. I mean, that was like my third guess. <laughs> <laughs> Lofty's Comet. Yeah. What? Blackberry? Blackberry's the name of the song. Oh, Blackbeard's the name of the song. Yep, Lofty's Comet played them last year. No, it's just this is just their song. It's just the straight saxophone. It's a saxophone uh, it's like the, band. Uh, that's right. He told us he's a big sax guy. So. Yep. Oh, really? That's just one of my favorite. That's my favorite instrument. I actually played tenor saxophone in for like eight years. So I'm See, pretty good I, at it. I, I just have a bad taste in my mouth for sax because I met Steve Sax once and he wasn't very nice. That's just. <laughs> I don't know. The whole thing. Take it out on an entire music genre, why don't you? Right, right. <laughs> Good idea, Dana. All right, let's get to our next guest broadcaster for the Oakland A's, Vince Catronio. And, of course, Vince, yesterday was Memorial Day. And before we get to baseball, I wanted to ask you, you wrote a piece about baseball and the relation with the armed forces. Can you talk about that some? Sure. be happy to. Uh, good morning, guys. Uh, hey, also, man. tell Chris, I've seen David Sanborn in concert, so maybe that – Maybe oh, I wait a minute. David Sanborn level. is part of what he just played? Well, David no. Sanborn is one of the best jazz. But he's oh, an okay. amazing okay. jazz artist. He's See. awesome. That's, okay. that's, super, that's super cool. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. so. Well, anyway. I mean, if it's not played on you know the hair metal station, it's Vince. <laughs> I, I'm so out of the loop. I'm sorry, buddy. Fair enough. Well, you know, my, my father fought in World War II. Uh, he fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He was 19 years old from New York. 
you know, across the Atlantic. My son-in-law served uh, one uh, tour in the Middle East. He spent seven years in the Army. So it's, it's a, you know, like most people uh, that have that kind of connection, it's a pretty powerful day. So I, I've done some research in the past, and I've, I enjoy doing these kinds of features and uh, just finding some research about certain aspects about how the game is involved in so many parts of our, of our lives. And uh, it goes back really to, to the 1870s when uh, there was, it wasn't even the National League, it was the National Association, where on that day, you know, May 30th, there was actually a game going on. And that same time, at, the, at Arlington National Cemetery, uh, Frederick Douglass, who's one of the greatest orators of that time, an escaped slave, made a pretty impassioned speech about honoring those who had fallen. And then it, it continued. You know, baseball has, outside of the pandemic, has gone uninterrupted. Uh, throughout uh, the years, because of even with conflict with World War One, with World War Two, Korean War, Vietnam, etc., so baseball has been an integral part of uh, just you know who we are as Americans. And you go back to 1942 when baseball actually reached out to then President FDR and said, "We're we're willing to stop the sport." And FDR said, "Don't do this." It was a famous called Green Light Letter that uh, was written saying, "You know, we we need." Baseball, we need this for our morale. And so mm-hmm. it's been great to see, you know, Mitch uh, Harris most recently was in the Naval Academy and pitched in the big leagues with the Cardinals. But there are, you know, there are over 60 Hall of Famers that uh, suspended their playing careers. That's most right. famously, sure. you know, Ted Williams, who who knows what his numbers would have been. He missed, you know, three years during World War II, two years, basically two full years during the Korean conflict. You know, what his numbers would have been. You know, they, they sacrificed. You know, I discovered that. Before he got to the big leagues as a teenager, much like my father, Yogi Berra was a part of D-Day. So I, li- literally landing on the beaches. Yep. So uh, pretty powerful stuff and just mm-hmm. uh, thankful to find that stuff. And certainly, uh, again, love doing those kinds of features and, and presenting those stories. Yeah. Hey, Vincent, Steve, good to hear your voice. Good to talk to you again. It's been a while. Can you explain, and I know you're not Rob Manfred, how baseball did not have all 30 teams playing yesterday on Memorial Day. It was for years, for decades, it was a given. And everybody played baseball on Memorial Day. I remember as a kid in New York, doubleheaders with the Mets and the Yankees. What What's going on here? Why isn't baseball hanging on to some of these traditions? I agree. It's a simple, it's a simple question that, that should have a simple answer. Uh, myself and my partner, Ken Korak, we actually broached that subject a little bit yesterday ourselves on the broadcast. It, it, it's not just Memorial Day. It's you know July 4th, there might be a, a team or two off. And the same thing with Labor Day. So it, I think that's a simple fix where you should just simply have every team play. Now, we don't know the schedules. And with 30 teams and with interleague play now and 15 in each league, maybe there are some other travel challenges that we're not aware of. But I, I personally think that it can be addressed. And, you know, moving into 2023, where both leagues are going to play everybody. You know, we're, we're going to play every team in the National League next year, at least for one series. Mm-hmm. And the same thing for National League teams against American League clubs. So I, don't, I hope that, that that doesn't make it more difficult to have these holidays celebrated the way they should with, uh, you know, baseball and the whole nine yards and, and being a part of the festivities. Let's keep our fingers crossed that maybe it is something that can be looked at, I think, rather easily and maybe there'll be some better news moving forward. I mean, it seems silly to me, Vince, because 
I mean, there are very few days during during the course of the year where the family is gathered or at least, you know, coming on over and having a barbecue or whatever people do. And, you know, I mean, you don't have a couple of your teams on display in a, in a sport that, you know, basically is always looking for more eyeballs. I mean, I just think it's, it's such a oversight and I maybe we can get somebody to talk about it, but. I just don't understand how that could possibly happen. But I'll move on to what you were talking about, your your partner there, Ken Korak, who, is, of course, is a resident here and longtime UNLV basketball uh, announcer. And you met Ken, if I'm correct, while working in the PCL. And Ken, of course, was working for uh, the Stars at the time. Do you guys ever talk to each other about, wow, what what a road we had to go on at that starting point to to just meet in Oakland and, and, and be each other's broadcast partner? And it, I'm very fortunate, and we have talked about it on more than one occasion, certainly. You know, he started in Northern California doing uh, the California Angels A-ball team in uh, Redwood City. And I started my, you know, I started in college doing the Orlando Twins, where Tom Kelly was their manager in 81 and 82. Our paths crossed in 89 when I was in Tucson, and, and he was doing uh, the Las Vegas team at the time after he had done the Phoenix Firebirds before that. So... Uh, you know, that's the, the thing about this industry, you guys can can certainly understand this. You know, I get requests to listen to tapes and things of that nature all the time, and I'm happy to do it. I, and I always explain to whoever sends me their their reel of work, I say, look, this is one person's opinion. It's a very subjective industry. But the, the reality is, for me personally, every job I've gotten, literally every job, has been because I knew somebody or somebody recommended me for that position. And in the case here with, with Oakland, now in my 17th year, when Bill King passed away, and I knew Bill when he was broadcasting for the A's, when I was on the other side of the glass working six years for the Texas Rangers. So I knew Bill, respected Bill. We've had, we had many conversations. And I saw a lot of the, you know, the idiosyncrasies that made Bill King who he is, which mm-hmm. was a you know, one-of-a-kind, special, special talent. And then, you know, lo and behold, I'm out of baseball for two years, and Bill unexpectedly passes away after hip surgery. And I called Ken. I said, look, uh, this is you know, a position I'm going I'm to apply for. I've been asked to by a couple of people in the organization. I just want to let you know I'm not expecting you to, to promote me in any way, shape, or form. I'm not going to put you in that kind of position. But I just want to make you aware of that. And, and I think as they made those decisions, as it got down to the finals, uh, part of what helped me is that Ken knew my work ethic from my days with Houston and with Texas. He knew me personally, which when he was stepping into a, you know, a difficult situation for him, which was following Bill after he replaced Lon Simmons initially back in 1996 to be the lead voice for the A's, that he wanted somebody that he was comfortable with, somebody that he can count on to, mm-hmm. to do their, their part of the heavy lifting. And I think that's, what's, that's what has allowed us to stay together as long as we have. Ken is a terrific talent. And my first day in spring training, when I went on the air, because Bill had passed away in October, you know, A's fans were stunned, certainly. Didn't get a chance to say goodbye, much like with us with Ray Fossey this offseason. That was a, just so uh, traumatic that what, what has happened again to the organization. But when I went on the air that first broadcast, I, I specifically said to the fans, I'm not Bill. I don't pretend to be Bill. I'm not going to try to be Bill. I'm just asking you to... to Give me an opportunity to, to do the job as best as I can. And hopefully over time you'll enjoy uh, the way that I present the game and we'll, you know, we'll become friends. And luckily that's, that's worked out so far. 
Vince, how long did it take you and Ken to develop a chemistry on the air? I don't think very long because, again, you know, I, I came to the club in 2006, and I had known Ken since 1989. Now, obviously, we had never worked together, and there was right. certain cadence and, you know, you know, the back and forth that you have to learn. And we both have our unique styles as well. I'm a little more casual uh, with things. I'm not afraid to, you know, to bring up some of, you know, life's quirks in my own personal life and look for some of the odd things aside from really working hard with players and coaches, managers and scouts about, you know, using their eyes to help me understand the game better each and every day because I learn something every day. And I even like last week when we had the, the controversial bunt play with Christian Bethencourt at first base, the call was made by the home plate umpire, Mark Rippinger. Well, the next day I'm in the umpire's room talking to Mark Rippinger pregame because I wanted to hear the explanation directly from him. Mm-hmm. That's just part of how I can deliver that message. So I think Ken respects that again. For me, listening to Ken and all the great calls he's had over the years, and you know he was, a, he was around where this club was really good in the early 2000s, and we've had a good run as well, although it's dry right now, but uh, it, it's been such a it's just been a fun ride, and I think there's just a, a mutual respect for, you know, what we do together, and and an understanding of what we want to do in terms of delivering the product to our fan base, which you know really loves this club, and uh, I think to a certain degree they do appreciate that we're their conduit, you know, inside the clubhouse. That if we're bringing up something on one day that they know that we don't know the answer to. We'll get the answer. We'll put it on the air the next day because they can't talk to Elvis Andrews or Mark Kotze or Kevin Smith. We can. So that I think they are appreciative that they know that we have uh, their thoughts and their, and their questions in mind as we go through each and every day. So when you and Kevin have private conversations, which I'm asking for that privilege to be part of, have you asked them about real estate? <laughs> I'm not a, I, the only thing I've asked about is helping me fix my golf swing. Which okay, okay, I'm just do. wondering. And he, you know, he, as we know, he's he's very nonchalant about how good of a player he is, but he wants to beat you in the worst way, and he's down the middle all the time. You know, he's he hits the ball a long way, and he he loves the game. And we're playing together on the off day on Thursday, and I need him on my team so I can win a couple of ducats. There you go, Vince. How did you personally handle? The last couple of years with COVID, as it pertained to doing your job, how hard was it after all it these dif- years? Of- it was difficult. People don't understand that for what we do, and especially, uh, I think it, it it bears repeating with with Ken and I, I. I it's important for me to be on the field every day. It's important for me to be around the batting cage or be in the clubhouse and just asking questions. You know, just. And just general saying hello to these guys, not in, not necessarily with the um, interviews, just hey, tell me about yesterday, or how does this feel, or what's going on, and even sometimes house family, just general, so there's a level of comfort to where those situations present themselves that you do need to do interviews, whether pregame or postgame, that they're they're willing to do those things with you. So that was lacking. We weren't allowed on the on the field, certainly weren't allowed to travel the last two years. We're not allowed in the clubhouse, and you feel a disconnect. And what was frustrating for many of us that do this, not just Ken and I, but, you know, even Glenn and Dallas on TV and Ray when he was doing it, when he was still with us and all around baseball, people were saying, oh, we can't tell the difference. Well, we can because you're, you're looking, especially on the radio side, because the, the fan is relying on our eyes, not relying on, on the monitor. Even though we had monitors that showed a lot of 
the different angles of the game. It's not the same as watching it with your own eyes and seeing the jump, seeing the positioning of the player, seeing the movement of the pitch, uh, all those kinds of things that made it harder. There are several times where both Ken and I would call a play with one expectation and it turning out to be something else, whether it was a, we thought it was going to be a, just a fly ball turned to be a home run or we thought mm-hmm. it was a home run was a routine catch or a ball that we weren't sure where it ended up was a fair foul because we're waiting on the, on the, the next shot from that director and every director was different. And those, those days are hard, but most importantly, we just didn't have an opportunity to connect on a daily basis. Yeah, you know, our, with, with the players and coaches and managers. Yeah, our friend Tim Never wrote a book about his experience with the Dodgers trying to call games during COVID, and, and he said it was extremely challenging to not be there at the ballpark and have to rely on a monitor, you know, to call a game. It's got to be an entirely different world. I know John Sterling with the Yankees has struggled with it, and uh, other announcers have as well. Um has there been a possum sighting in your broadcast booth at the Coliseum? <laughs> Actually, there was. Actually, right under my chair, there was. What was that like? How does that happen? Fortunately, I was not in the chair at the time. So I was out of the booth. Ken was sitting in his chair, which is to my left, in the mm-hmm. Bill King broadcast booth. Yep. And they, as I was walking back to the booth, I said the possum was just right there. It was right underneath your chair. <laughs> they had some animal control people that were at the stadium for a couple of days trying to track down this ever-growing population of possum. Never happened to see that one. They caught four, I think, later that day. But then there was another sighting two days ago out in the bullpen where the the relievers uh, found and caught a possum. So it's it's a it's a never-ending story with us at the Coliseum. Yeah, it's sad. <laughs> hey, Vince, let me ask you, the, the A's are 20-31 and 31 on the season after yesterday's loss to Houston. But surprisingly, they're 500 on the road. I mean, is there there's something to that, or is that just kind of the way it is? Or, or, and I guess my, my point about that is, is, is there a comfort level that they're still trying to find at home? I, I can't answer that. It's a great question, and we're trying to find the answer because the numbers are significantly skewed because you always talk about, hey, if you just play 500 at, on the road and if you, could, you should have an expectation to win at home, you're going to have a decent season. Well, the A's are, you know, they're like 12 games under 500 at home, and I can't understand why. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's the crowds. I don't know if it's the energy in the building. You know, we're playing in front of bigger crowds on the road than they are certainly this year with all the challenges and all the changes the A's have gone through. Uh, they have certainly, you know, it started with them playing 10 in a row right out of spring training on the road. I think that helped them bond. You know, they did spend some time together individually just to learn each other and, uh, you know, become teammates, those kinds of things. And I think that that did help them along the way. Uh, but why this continues to happen, you know, at home, for the most part, they're in most games. Uh, they were blown out a couple of days ago. Uh, they've had a couple of games where they lost by eight or nine or ten runs. But not that many for a team that's 11 games under 500. But the fear now is that maybe even that's going to wear off a little bit. And they're in a stretch where they've lost seven of ten. And they've got to find a way to make sure that doesn't turn into – you know, 15 out of 18. Now, they did have a, a nine-game losing streak earlier this year, but they pitched well during that streak. They didn't hit at all. And now the pitching is, you know, it's trying to fight its way while offense is going to be an ongoing challenge for this club. But in this series against the Astros, Blackburn, Montas, and Irvin, you feel like you, you can't compete. But the difference is, guys, is like an example mm-hmm. yesterday, Blackburn didn't pitch that poorly. 
they hit the ball out of the ballpark. They've hit twice as many home runs this year as the A's have. And the A's don't have that true threat that can get them back in the game with one swing of the bat. So having to scratch multiple hits together against somebody, the ilk of Framber Valdez, is not an easy thing to do. I mean, so you that's, would, that's, that's kind of where they are. You would basically say yesterday, because I watched that game against Houston, I mean, Blackburn probably threw one, maybe, you know, two pitches at the most, maybe three, but definitely two pitches that he would have liked back. But other than that, it was a, it was a fantastic performance. And that's asking an awful lot from any pitcher to just to look back and say you made two mistakes right? and you lost the game. And you can make the case that the second one for Altuve does not go out for a night game, but in the day game with a little breeze, it pushed, I mean, it went out. He, he went far enough to clear the wall. That's, that's the reality of what happened. But that's that's where the A's are. They they've got to find a way to mm-hmm. to uh, you know the pitchers have have done an excellent job so far of not having that be in their mind. They can't control that. They can't control how much offense they're going to get. They can only help control how much offense they're going to allow. And that's that's going to be an ongoing fight all season because there's going to be so many questions that are going to take a long time to get answered. And I'm talking about into July and August that still won't be answered about who are the players that are in this group. That are are you going to move forward with, or are you just going to kind of grind through the rest of the year and and still wait for another wave of players that are in the minors? Have you enjoyed dealing with Mark Kotze? I'm sure you remember him from his days with the A's as a player, but you and Bob Melvin, I know, had a very special relationship. How's it been uh, working with Kotze? It's been great. You know, I'm the one that called his inside the park home run in Minnesota in the playoffs, so okay. I do have that connection with Kotze. And he, he was always, as a player, a guy that, for what I do, you went to for, you know, finger on the pulse of the team because he was so good at that as a team leader and had been around and seen just about every kind of situation. Now, as a first-year manager, he's going to be a little bit guarded as he's, you know, learning, you know, how much time is necessary to spend with the media where he didn't have to worry about that before. Even as a coach, coaches don't necessarily have to worry about how much time they've got to spend with the media, but the the manager does. And so trying to find time to spend with him even away from the riders just to, as a team broadcaster, just to get a, a general, you know, background information on certain situations and on what he's thinking. We never want to, on the air, question what he's doing or say it's right or wrong. We're just simply trying to find out. Uh, it's not for me to agree or disagree. I, just try to, I want to explain why you did what you did because you're, you're ultimately making that decision as a manager. And we're, you know, that is growing. And given the kind of team that we have and, and the struggles that we're going to have all season, he's been great at, at being available and great at, at providing some insight on, you know, on microphone and off microphone as well. Hey Vince, last question for me. Uh, the guys that have come up from Vegas this year, you know, who are some that have impressed you, whether it's a Nick Allen? I know there's a glut at the catcher position, but you can't help but, you know, at least around here, there's a buzz around Shane, uh, Shay Langoliers. Uh, who's you know been tremendous? You know, a guy that moder- uh, models his game over uh, with Buster Posey. I mean, it's who has really stuck out to you? Is there a guy that you said, "Wow, this could be our future"? Well, it hasn't happened yet. I mean, it's it's, it's just going to take some time. I mean, Christian Pache came over from the Braves organization, and we're still waiting on him. Uh, Nick Allen, I thought him getting to the big leagues opened up his eyes about the speed of the game. Right. You know, we've talked so much about a great defender that he is, and we've seen that. You know, he gets a chance to see, even as smooth a, a defender as he was, that there were times where he was caught in between with the speed of the game defensively at second base or at shortstop. 
learning how hard it is to hit up here, how good the pitching is up here. I think that inspires a player to go back and, and continue to work on the things to, to get back to the big leagues and stay. You know, a lot of guys go through this where they come go up and down two or three times before it finally clicks. And, and right now, Nick's in that category. Yeah, we're all waiting on Langoliers. I, I talked with David Forst a couple of days ago about his situation. He certainly cooled off in May. You know, had he been as hot in May as he was in April, then you probably couldn't ignore the bat, and he might have been pushed to the big leagues. That hasn't happened yet. But if for some reason Sean Murphy went down to an injury, he said, I have no issue whatsoever bringing shade to the big leagues and having him be the ace catcher because we know all the things that he has brought to the table. So we're it, it's still it's still waiting. I mean, if you're thinking about the A's organization and the guys that you think that are going to be the next group, uh, a lot of them are double-A Midland. Uh, you know, the kid Zach Geloff, who's a second baseman, third baseman, former high pick out of Virginia a couple years ago. He, he, he's on that train. The pitching, Ryan Cusick, JT Ginn, Joey Estes, uh, Gunnar Hoglin, who they acquired in trades from the various teams. Uh, those guys are still a couple years away. And Hoglin hasn't even thrown a pitch yet because he's recovering from Tommy John surgery that he had while he was in the Blue Jays organization. So uh, haven't really identified those guys yet. It, it, this is going to be a process. I mean, they, they moved some pretty significant players from the club with the two mats and Canna going to free agency and Marte going to free agency. You, know, you can make the case that two or three of those guys were carriers. And the A's don't really have that offensively right now. So they've really got to, you know, next man up and keep the line moving, all those kinds of cliches you hear about baseball. That's what the A's have got to continue to try to fight through. And I give them credit, and Mark Kotze gives them credit that they have, while you know the results haven't been there, there and there have been a lot of challenges, these guys have, for the most part, been in most games, and you hope that at some point that's going to relay into things, which is what you're defined by in the big leagues, which is simply wins and losses. Yeah. It's oh. performance-based at that level. That's the bottom line. That's mm-hmm. very, very true. Uh, Oakland starts a series tonight with the Rangers. First pitch, 640. Game that we'd like to see here, but fortunately a team nine hours away is somehow in our local market. Surprised we get the Rockies game. But, Vince, uh, thank you so much for joining us, and we wish you yes. nothing but the best on your broadcast tonight. Appreciate it, guys. Good talking to you. Thank you, Vince. See right, you there, soon. There he goes, Vince Contraneo. And we will take it. I always get mixed up on his name. All right, let's take a, sw- a quick break. Uh, when we come back, that does it, does it for Sportsbook Radio. When we come back, we'll crank up Vegas Hockey Hotline, and we talk about the NHL Final Four. <laughs> 